This is the OK Outcast Podcast, your home for Oklahoma political intrigue and insight. Hello and welcome to another edition of OK Outcasts. This is your host, Brittany. I'm here today with my co-host, Chris. How are you doing, Chris? Well, Tech 4, we are doing great. Uh, Sun is shining. The birds are chirping. It's not a billion degrees outside. So uh, life is good. How are things in the north? Things are going very well. It is also not a billion degrees here, but has been far less than it has been for you. Um, I'm doing great. My husband and I just closed on a chunk of land in northern Minnesota on Friday, and we've been out there over the last couple days doing some work and getting it prepared to become our off-grid homestead. You know, we can talk a little bit more about that later in the episode, because I'm sure we will be talking about the latest news in the ongoing investigations into Trump world. But I do believe that uh, you had something you were excited about and wanted to share with our listeners. And let's hear about that. So, um, Governor Stitt's numbers have been dropping like a hooker's panties in Vegas on New Year's Eve. Wait, Uh, do, uh, do hookers in Vegas even wear panties on New Year's Eve? First client? I don't know. Maybe a preferred <laughs> choice. If you get your platinum hooker card. But, um, yeah. So, they're not that terrible because he's sitting at about 47%. But the point is, that was our Teflon governor. Just nothing could ding him. And he's been dinged. Now, his total unfavorables are sitting at 44.1 with 8.9 in the middle. Uh, Lankford's are kind of interesting because he's sitting below 50%. Um, Biden is sitting just under 40%, which I'm kind of impressed by. What do you what do you think, you know, in Oklahoma? Um, I'm also very surprised by that number. I think that bodes well for uh, President Biden and the Democrats generally. It sounds like there's pretty good unity among the Democratic base in Oklahoma. So it's going to take that if there's going to be any uh, any possibility of uh, helping Joy take the governor's race this year. Well, and I, I think... Uh, you know, in previous episodes, I've expressed some doubt toward Joy, but I've talked to a couple of her campaign staff, and she's got an excellent crew, and I I just think uh, well, a, a pretty steep walk uphill, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. You've walked up many steep hills, as have I. Yeah. Obviously, you know, there is there is something that stands in her way, and that's that in Oklahoma, there's straight party voting. 
and I believe in 2020 it was around 61% of Oklahoma Republicans just went in and marked the straight Republican ticket option. So it leaves uh, only a really small chunk of Republicans that she can peel away, but you know, if she can make inroads with them as somebody who's built up trust as a Republican superintendent in the state, then, you know, I don't think it's impossible. All she needs is 50% plus one. Now, you guys do it a little different in Minnesota. Uh, how does, I mean, you, you ran for uh, state rep in Oklahoma. You know our primary system. How does Minnesota's differ from Oklahoma's primary system? Yeah, so in Minnesota, uh, one good thing is that when you register to vote here, you don't register what party you are with the state of Minnesota. So you just register as a voter. And then on primary day, you get a ballot that has all the parties that have made the ballot and all their primary races on there. And you just get to select which primary you're going to vote in. So you can't, you don't get to cross over and vote some offices the Republican primary and some offices the DFL primary. That's Democratic Farm Labor Party, which is our Democratic Party up here. Um, but you can't, you know, if you're voting in the DFL primary, you just vote all the DFL offices on that section of the ballot. And so there is no state database that says these people are registered Republican, these people are registered Democrat, these people are registered independent. You're just a registered voter. Man, that would make targeting a nightmare for a consultant. Uh, yeah, which is exactly the point, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, and it it it's also you know to me it, it's a it's a better way because you know we know there's some insurrectionist type candidates out there that uh, are trying to run for secretary of state and other various positions of power and state governments around the country and. At least here, there's no real possibility that somebody could, you know, get a hold of a list and say, ah, these are all the registered Democrats. This is who we need to target for violence, um, because that that list just doesn't exist up here. It's it's interesting that we're talking about this because I have a couple different candidates that are running for statewide office, and one of them is very technical, which is corporation commissioner. It's very difficult to understand what they do. What I like to talk about what corp commish is supposed to do, corp commish being short for corporation commissioner. Uh, they don't want to, uh, I don't know, go after Donald Trump. They don't want to, um, change Congress or do anything like that. No, they handle the grid, gas lines, corporation commissioner stuff. Yeah, and, and they, they also oversee like the granting of uh, applications for oil and gas wells in Oklahoma. 
Um, uh-huh. So anybody who has maybe mineral rights in Oklahoma, you've probably gotten mail from hearings before the Corporation Commission with very legal documents. They're, it's a very technical position and, you know, very focused, and it's not not particularly uber-political. Well, and that circles back to our original point that corporation commissioner, auditor, inspector, another very technical position, uh, treasurer, none of those should be... uh, These are spreadsheets. These are spreadsheet people. Uh, Yeah, you, you shouldn't have Republicans running for state auditor saying... We're going to take it to the Biden administration. Like, no, the state auditor has no control over that whatsoever. And luckily, our Republican voters in Oklahoma were smart enough to see that and elect the person who was in the primary, uh, the one focused on the job and not making it uber political. Cindy Bird. Uh, yeah, and so, uh, she's great. Um, her opponent, uh, who I'm not even going to mention, sent me plenty of direct mail explaining exactly how he was going to take down the Biden administration, <laughs> um, which, okay, we can do that as a citizen, uh, but yeah. Not not really yes. the purview of the state auditor. Okay. <laughs> The boring jobs, you need nerds, guys. Uh, You've got to have nerds to manage the spreadsheets. And, you know, Gary Jones, Cindy's predecessor, uh, he's a rancher. He's got, like, I think 150 head of cattle at the moment and enjoys driving around on a four-wheeler and feeding the cows and he, he was also a stand-up, honest Republican who, you know, took his job seriously and did not politicize that office. So, you know, it, at least no matter what happens in this general election in Oklahoma, if, you know, Cindy Bird keeps the office, then that's okay. You know, that that's one where that's she's not one of the Republican crazies. No, she is Republican classic. All she wants is transparency. She wants the offices in Oklahoma, all the departments, to be clean and clear. Uh, she's focused up, and that's the real key here is um, maybe some offices in Oklahoma. I mean, do you guys even uh, elect your AG or uh, – we, we do. Um, okay. And in fact, um, you know, we just had our primary yesterday and um, on the Republican side in Minnesota, the the less crazy Republican ended up beating the more crazy Republican in the uh, primary for attorney general. Um, the the guy that kind of seemed like he had a lot of the base Republican support, Doug Wardlow, um, had also been a very outspoken opponent of abortion and kind of made it clear in his campaign that 
One of the things he would do if he became attorney general would be to go after abortion rights. And that seemed to, to finally hurt him. Uh, and he ended up losing the primary because, uh, you know, re abortion rights are, are pretty popular even amongst um, a lot of Republicans who just want the government to stay out of their reproductive health decisions. And so that, that did end up hurting him. Although the, uh, the Republican who won the governor spot here uh, to take on incumbent Governor Tim Walz is uh, he's a pretty big opponent of abortion rights as well, but he made the calculated decision a couple weeks ago to soften his position and suddenly flip-flop to becoming a, a, a somewhat pro-choice candidate, claiming that, you know, he wouldn't... Uh, would still have some exceptions maybe for for rape, incest, or the life of the mother... I mean, I, I'm sorry, like, that's such a cop-out. It, um, it is, and, you know, I I still think it's a position that's going to hurt him in the general election because it's pretty transparent that he flipped his position at the last minute, but um, it does show that even he recognized that taking the hardline position was not going to be popular this time around. Do you think it's going to damage Fricks at all um, over in CD2 that he's getting, uh, you know, like this super, I, I don't know what consultant, I need to look it up, uh, he works for, or works with, uh, but how do you think in this current environment you know, seeing Kansas, seeing all that, <clears throat> shouldn't you go ahead and not try to go batshit crazy? Because it, it to to me, Kansas is instructive and should be telling Republicans to moderate. You know that that one of the things they're running into is they've become too extreme. Um, but if you look at that CD two race. You know, that's now in a runoff between Avery Fricks and uh, Josh Brasheen, right? Uh, yeah, um, so and we have... Now, Brasheen was always one of the crazies. He was in the legislature. Care uh, what Avery Fricks, who you had pointed out, you know, prior to the, to the primary, you had indicated he was more moderate. Um, but now, you know, he seems to have taken the position that he's got to try to out-crazy Brakeen to win that nomination, and I'm just not so sure that's the right tack to take, and I think he may have made a miscalculation there. And if it's between the moderate pretending to be crazy versus an actual crazy, the voters in CD2 in Oklahoma may just pick Brakeen the, the actual crazy. Well, there's kind of a saying in politics, and you're watching a show where I heard this from. So for those listeners who have not watched the show, I'm about to go nerd out here. Uh, the show is called Alpha House. 
and a statistician is talking to a senator and describes the primary as the Kobayashi Maru. And for you, you can't win no matter what you do. And how does Kirk win that race? He cheats. Uh, so winning a primary and staying far enough to the right to win the primary, but far enough to the left to win the general is that Kobayashi Maru. Great description of Oklahoma this cycle where Cindy Bird didn't try to tack right to the crazy. She just continued to say, I'm going to run the auditor's office fairly and cleanly. You know, she didn't put out a bunch of ads that she was going to use the auditor's office to go after schools who let transgender kids use the bathroom that they need to use. You know, she just stuck to, to what she's supposed to be doing in that role and won pretty handily, despite a pretty big money campaign that tried to paint her as a liberal. And so I don't really know why so many of the Republicans aren't seeing that evidence that you don't actually have maintained. And we're using that play nationally. So I'm making a transition here, Brittany. How does that play nationally? Oh, nationally. Boy, that's a whole other ball of wax. Um, I would say it's a whole other shitty kettle of fish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are now aware that um, uh, on Monday, uh, the FBI served a search warrant at former President Trump's home in Florida at Mar-a-Lago. Um. Right now, the details on what what was in that search warrant or what they were searching for or what crimes it might be related to isn't yet known. Um, But what we do know is that the freak out on the right has gone into overdrive um, because this is the first ever former president to have the FBI serve a search warrant on him. And... You know, I I saw a clip yesterday of, you know, Fox News host Jesse Waters yelling at the at the camera and saying how, you know, this is indicative that the far left is out to attack Republicans and now using the government to go after them. And he made the statement that this isn't just an attack on President Trump. This is an attack on you. And so it's very cult-like in that any any negative thing that happens to Dear Leader is an attack on you, the follower. And um, I think... So did you see the story about the guy in Florida, state rep, that's like, we need to call an emergency session and uh, demand that the DOJ has no jurisdiction within the state of Florida and any FBI agent should be arrested on site. Yeah. Do that. Brittany. These are, these are Republican officials saying this on the record. There are now Republican Congress people talking about, should they get control of Congress in November that they will 
immediately begin investigating the FBI and looking to defund it. So the anti-defund police movement is now pro-defunding police. Um, it's pretty wild. Uh, I've also been following some uh, some news reporters on Twitter that cover the far-right social media sphere, so I don't have to put myself in it. And uh, what I'm hearing from them is that calls for violence are greater than they even were ahead of January 6th. Um, so it seems the the thirst for some kind of civil war is hitting a fever pitch now that uh, Dear Leader is clearly under criminal investigation. And so I think, you know, they're going to start looking for excuses to engage in further political violence. Well, this, I, I, I'm going to call it a cold civil war. Um, I think that's because, accurate. Okay. Because uh, a lot of people don't like, um, all right, the troops are there in Germany, attacking and uh, winning. That's my best impression of a newsreel. You um, know, they they you... were, but I, I'm glad you bring this up because, you know, World War II didn't all happen at once either. You know, it it takes time for wars to build steam and to really take off. And I think in this particular situation, this this war the, of Russia trying to attempt to take over Ukraine... It's part of this whole struggle worldwide right now between authoritarianism and democracy. And, you know, I don't I think it would be it's hard to pull it all apart and say it's not all somewhat related. And well, well it is. And as many Republicans will point out, uh, we are not a democracy. We're a democratic republic. Well, yes. they they leave out the democratic part. They just say republic, as if you know, as if that the word democracy only can mean, you know, a straight, direct democracy, almost California style. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, hey, uh, somebody left a cigarette butt on my driveway. I'm going to release an initiative petition to stop cigarette butts being on my driveway. <laughs> right. How yeah. long were your ballots when you were in law school? Oh my gosh. I I had ballots that were uh, like between the city petitions that made the ballot and the state ones, there would be about 20 to 30 uh, state questions that had to be resolved on the ballot. Plus... Like in San Francisco, we went, our propositions were lettered rather than numbered in the city elections. And one of my ballots had so many city propositions on it that it got into double letters. <laughs> Roman numerals on the California ballot. Yeah, it's, that's too much. You know, why are we electing representatives if we're just going to have everything go to the voters anyway? Well, in Oklahoma, I will say, um, appropriately, 
we have a pretty high threshold uh, percentage-wise per capita per voter based on the last election. Um, California, you need like 25,000 votes to change state law. Well, to get, like, you need about, you know, it's something like 25 or 50,000 signatures to get a state question on the ballot, which in a state of 30 million plus people, getting 50,000 signatures isn't real difficult. Um, or uh, low threshold, <laughs> but yeah, yeah uh, like, I mean, you could probably get that in L.A. alone. Oh, yeah, it's it's super easy to do. And um, one thing I think Oklahoma gets right over Minnesota is that, you know, there is a state initiative petition process and a way for the people to bypass an obstinate legislature. Um, whereas in Minnesota, a state question like that can only be put on the ballot by the legislature. So, um, that is one thing I'd like to see changed in Minnesota, although I generally think they do most things right up here. Um, that is one area I think Oklahoma found the right balance to where it's, it's a pretty heavy lift to get it on the ballot. So if it does make the ballot, it's, you know, truly because there's a decent amount of support for it. Well, I think that... Uh, you, you know, I the legislature here in Oklahoma wants to change it to where you have to get equal parts from every congressional district, but they're going to have to put that on the ballot because the uh, right for an IP is in the original Constitution. Correct. So in, yeah. Uh, in order to modify it, they would have to use a legislative referendum, which we also have. Yeah. Just, yeah, they, they, they want to make it more difficult. They want to modify, with a state question, the ability to pass state questions by the people, which the Oklahoma Constitution refers to as the greater legislature. It does. You know, I don't... I don't really like that idea of, you know, adding a new hurdle, um, you know, because it's not it's not like Oklahoma's hurdles aren't pretty steep already. Um, although I think you and your compatriots who helped pass state question 788, um, you know, probably brought this to the forefront by them seeing how you all were able to do that without needing a massive budget. And so that kind of scared them a little bit into thinking, oh, my gosh, if if people can do this without a massive budget, how will big money win everything? <laughs> um, yeah. And we were outspent by the no campaign, but they made a vast miscalculation that by outspending us that they could. You know, and, and, and that that passed, 788 passed by 57% to endorse medical marijuana in the entire state of Oklahoma. And not just medical, but like the most liberal and open interpretation of medical of any state in the union. Yes. 
uh, it, it, it's, uh, and again, 57% is pretty miraculous because that's massive. (laughs) Yeah. It's a landslide Uh, in electoral terms. It's a landslide. So the concept that has been just, and I, I, I know I talk about cannabis a lot on this show and I'm hey, we, we love our cannabis. What can we say? <laughs> uh, the uh, um, the whole issue with cannabis, like being so forbidden, the forbidden fruit, the forbidden weed, is has been described to me by one elected official who I actually deeply respect as silly. <laughs> uh, and that person is not going to be named, but uh, Brittany knows who that person is. I do, and I will respect your uh, your right to not not name and shame them right now. <laughs> uh, I don't rat, not no. Donald Trump. But it's not silly, you know. It's a massive economic engine. the The medical cannabis industry in Oklahoma is now like a billion dollar industry Um, it's funny so many politicians are still kind of afraid to talk about it but I I have been really happy to see Kendra Horn while running for for U.S. Senate uh, for the unexpired remainder of Inhofe's term um, so luckily, she's not going to have to go up against popular James Langford. Um, she has started to make hay on being uh, a proponent of, uh, at the very least, legalizing enough in D.C. at the federal level to help get Oklahoma's cannabis industry into the banking system and to be able to more easily access banking. Um, so I... I I think that could be an issue uh, that can really help Democrats in Oklahoma if they want to be front and center on something that will unite Oklahomans. It's the cannabis issue, and it unites people on both the right and the left. And to me, it really gives Democrats an opening to be a party that's seen as pro-freedom, because you know one of the knocks you'll hear about Democrats, particularly from rural folks, is they think of Democrats as the party of lots of regulation and lots of taking away their freedom. So, you Uh, uh, know. Okay, so the legislators that have problems with cannabis, there is one particular legislator of whose name I cannot remember uh, who said, you know, we were driving by a weed farm and... uh, my kids, what's that smell? Explain that to your son. Uh, have you driven by? I mean, we've both been to New Mexico and gone through the uh, cow lots of Albuquerque. Or, uh, no. Uh, Amarillo. Amarillo. Or yeah. Just, Amarillo. You know, out in western Oklahoma in the panhandle, there's tons of high density feedlots that you know, put hundreds of cows into a really small pen and it 
it smells really bad like cow shit. But, you know, that's how you get your two ninety nine cheeseburger at McDonald's. So, so how do you explain it to your kids? Oh, yeah, so they're going to go ahead and take that cow and herd it into a trailer, and then that cow is going to go to die, and that's how you're going to get your hamburger helper's knife. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, how do you explain beer ads on television to your kids? Like, you know, come on. That's such a silly... I I'm really not a big proponent of the for the children justification for any law really like why should adults have to dumb down all of society because you can't explain something to your kids <laughs> Those are plants they grow it's kind of like tobacco but a little bit different There Yeah get uh, over it it's <laughs> it's not that hard you know some some people like to smoke it, son. I'd prefer if you didn't, you know. I don't want you to get into that and at least wait till you're an adult to make that decision. And boom, done. And you know what? In states that have legal recreational cannabis, teen cannabis use is actually down compared to the national average because it's actually harder to access now that people have a legal marketplace to use Instead of, you know, Jeff down the street who comes over and brings it over. Well, we all have a Jeff down the street. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I don't anymore because <laughs> I have a medical card. But the the market out there, it's, it, it's varying. I mean, we have a little bit of uh, too much supply and not enough demand right now so we're trying to reconcile that but the fact is any market is going to go up and down for sure Um, yeah it's or as snoop would say fishies oh fishies (laughs) cool well have a good week and uh we'll talk soon we'll talk to everybody soon thanks so much for listening and Hey, really quick, before we go, I do want to remind everyone we do have a Facebook page now. We have now, uh, as of this morning, over 100 people have liked the page. So welcome to all our new listeners and new followers. Um, We're going to be updating that page more frequently in the future so you don't have to just depend on our Twitter feed. And... um, yeah, welcome everybody along. We hope we can keep you entertained and keep you up to date with the information you need for uh, Oklahoma politics. And feel free to submit any questions or topics you want to see us cover on that Facebook page, and uh, we'll try and get to them. All righty. I uh, look forward to talking to you soon, and have a good one. Yeah. yeah. Brittany and everybody. Great talking to you, Chris, and we'll be back with y'all next week. Adios, everyone. Adios.